Well, uh, let's see, can you hear me? Yes? Okay. Um, thank you so much to Florence and Sue for the hidden lamp. I, I feel like it has just expanded and deepened our teaching and particularly for the for this sangha. So I just I'm so appreciative. The um, case that I'll be talking about tonight is on page 164. It's the old woman recognizes Mazu. The old woman recognizes Mazu. When I told Florence, when I mentioned to Florence that I was going to talk about this one, she said her comment was she said, you know, every time I read that one, it makes me laugh. So um, sort of makes me laugh too. So I'll, I'll read you the case and um, talk about it. When Master Mazu Doyai returned to his native place for a short visit, he was warmly welcomed by his countrymen. But an old woman who used to be his next door neighbor said, I thought that all the commotion was caused by the visit of some extraordinary personage. In fact, it's none other than the little chap who is the son of Ma, the garbage collector. On hearing this, Mazu improvised the following poem. I advise you not to return to your native place for no one can be a sage in his own home. This old woman by the side of the brook still calls me the garbage man's son. So Mazu was a great teacher, uh, very well known, many, many disciples. And um, I thought to myself, is this a story about Buddhism? But then I was talking to a friend who uh, teaches at the seminary in Berkeley University. And he said, you know, in, in, uh, in the Bible, it tells a similar story. And the story, it's a, a commentary on Luke 4.24-30. And the little excerpt goes, the gospel is a second part of the scene in the synagogue in Nazareth where Jesus officially announces his mission as Messiah, Savior, and Liberator. The first reaction was one of amazement that Jesus, their townsman, could speak with such power. Where did he get it all? There was amazement, but no real faith in him. Familiarity had blinded them to his true identity. Basically, they reject him. For, him, for them, he is just Joe, the carpenter's boy. Jesus says, he was not surprised by this reaction. Quote, no prophet is ever accepted in his own country. So who is this guy Mazu? Um, one of the major teachers, not technically not in our lineage, but really we, we, we follow his stories, we follow his koans, we follow his teaching but he was more in the school of uh, that developed into Rinzai Zen as a sudden awakening school, whereas we're more, Suzuki Roshi has led us more into a gradual uh, awakening school. 
He was a Dharma grandson of Huineng, the usefully illiterate shaper of Zen as we have it today. He studied with Hongren, the teacher of Huineng, who transmitted to Huineng. Um, and after transmission, he traveled widely in China, as was the custom then. He was known for his strong desire to shock disciples into awakening. Uh, he used, he was the first one to use the shout, which I'm sure you've all heard about, or to use the stick. Um, I think when I think about Mazu, what I think about is he had a he had a feeling of urgency about the teaching. He had a feeling that he really wanted to get through to the people who came to him with the urgency of awakening in their lives. So the shout and the stick came from that urgency of wanting people to awaken. Um, he, 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 we, we know of him mostly through stories where he would, his favorite saying seemed to be, mind is Buddha and Buddha is mind, telling us that how we think about our lives and the world determines how we are in the world and what happens to us. And he saw himself clearly in the lineage of Bodhidharma, who brought Buddhism from India, brought Buddhism and Zen from India uh, to China in the sixth century. Um, it was said that, that Mazu had an enormous presence, that he strode like an ox and glared like a tiger, and 30, 139 known disciples, which is amazing without Zoom. Described as challenging the habits and vanity of his students to get them to awaken. Mind is Buddha. Buddha is mind. You, you might remember him from, it's, it's Mazu in, in the case from the Hegiganroku, the Blue Cliff record, where, where um, he's sitting and his, his teacher at that time, Nanyue, comes to him and says, what are you trying to do? And he says, well, I want to become a Buddha. Nanyue picks up a, um, a, um, a, a stone and uh, a tile and starts to rub it. And he says, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm making this, this stone into a diamond. He says, you can't do that. And of course, the teacher says, well, you can't become a Buddha by sitting. So, what, what, so what's going on here? Um, why, why am I interested in this case? Well. To me, what's really interesting about it is I think we've all had this kind of experience where we can easily feel uh, discounted and unseen and maybe even humiliated um, by an experience like Mazu's. Maybe we can brush it off as not applying to us, but I think we've all had this experience at some point. Um, you know, there are many examples. I remember. Um, the sort of idea that you, part of the idea that you can't go home again. And I remember in the early days at Tassajara, uh, we used to have a, a saying that described our experience when we were visiting our families. We would leave Tassajara on vacation, supposedly leave for a week to go see our family. Uh, we'd been in the mountains for a month 
months or years doing sincere, intense practice. And we would visit our families who couldn't quite understand what we were doing. Couldn't quite understand why we were wasting our time in the mountains sitting around. And the saying that we used to use then to describe this experience was, if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family. You will be clearly disabused of the notion. And I think that, I think that this um, experience of Mazu is described by that saying. Um, you know, Norman tells us in Taking Our Places that a healthy uh, identity uh, is an important part of being an adult in the world. Um, you might say having an idea of who we are. And I think this can be okay, but I think what this case is telling us that also this is an opportunity for trouble. I mean, when, when I, I was thinking about how I would say this, and I, the way I, that I sort of think of it is that we're all the garbage man's son or daughter. We're all the carpenter's son or daughter, each one of us. Mazu and the old woman is a classic case of suffering, uh, not caused by the reality of our life, but by the ideas about the ideas we have about the reality of our life, and the ideas we have about who we are. If we if we have nothing to defend, if we're a person of no rank. It's okay, we can be the garbage man's son or daughter. I, I, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about contemporary examples. And I'll tell you a, uh, one example that came to mind. Um, it was Ed Brown, who I think most of you are aware of, who did the uh, Not Always So and the Tassahar Bread Book. Anyway, Ed was the um, the Mater D at Green's in the early days, Green's restaurant in San Francisco, Zen Center's restaurant. And he said that he would repeatedly have people come to his Mater D station wanting a special table or special treatment. And what they would say is, do you know who I am? And after a while, he had heard it so much that he joked as saying that all these people don't know who they are. They're asking me who they are. They're saying, do you know who I am? I don't know who they are. Do you know who you are? <laughs> so um, he thought that, you know, he, he, he thought that was sort of a classic case of, of amusement. And I was thinking also this question of identity and how Although identity is necessary, I think, to function in the world and to be a healthy adult, how identity also can get us into trouble, you know, how we think about who we are. And I was thinking about my own experience. The first time I drove across the country, um, I was in New Mexico, and I, I picked up a couple of hitchhikers. And these hitchhikers said to me, you know, we're going to this place in Bakersfield where there are a lot of people living why don't you come with us? You can stay there for a couple of days and then go on to California. So we drove to Bakersfield and the place they took me to was the headquarters of Cesar Chavez. 
and there were a lot of campesinos there and they were involved in organizing farm workers. So they said, fine, you can, you can stay for a couple of days, no problem. And so we had dinner and then I, I was at that point in my life, uh, I had been teaching college for three years at a community college in the, on the East Coast. And I was pretty proud of myself, uh, pretty feeling like I had achieved something, like I had um, proud of myself, had some, you know, some security in my identity. And after dinner, the director came over to me and said, after uh, would you please mop the dining room? You know, clean the floor, mop the dining room. And I thought to myself, my first thought was, do you know who I am? And then quickly, I realized what I sort of what my mind was doing and the fact that it was about to get me into trouble. Of course, I said this to myself. And I was actually ended up being, I feel like it for me, it was a moment of awakening, a moment of realization um, of how comfortable it is to be a person at that moment without rank and uh, to be just mopping the floor. So um, so the question that I'd like to pose to you um, is who, who are we when we practice? Are we someone special? Are we the same bumbling person that we always have been? Or have we learned from the Dharma, something about life and how to function in life. How does, how does our sense of identity change with practice is the question I'm, I'm focusing on. Um, are, we, are we more attached or less attached to our idea or description of who we are as we become more serious about practice? Um, how attached are we to our identity? Can we tolerate being ordinary? So what about you? How has practice changed you? How has practice changed your, um, your identity to yourself? What, what does this bring up for you? So um, I'd like to break up into uh, breakout groups of three and with the question of, um, has, how has practice changed the way you think about yourself? Or how has practice changed the way you are in the world, if you prefer? What, what, what hard-worn truths have you learned in your years or months or weeks of practice? Have you changed? And what aspects of practice have changed you? So I'm going to ask uh, Jane to, to break us up into groups of and why don't we take um, five minutes each and talk about uh, how we feel we've changed or if you're uncomfortable, if that feels too exposed, talk about some other aspect of practice. And then uh, let's come back together. Then we'll give you a few minutes to talk, to, to talk amongst yourselves. And then let's come back um, 
at uh, when do we come back at uh, eight o'clock? Okay. Okay. Thank you, Alan. Good. Okay. So identity, what is it? How does it get us into trouble? Are we all the garbage man's daughter or son? Thank you. Let's see, I don't see groups, um, breakout groups. There we go. 